Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 71 and 72 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello, gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. So um, a couple um, of housekeeping items to do at the top of this show. Um, so it's been a while since our last episode for a variety of reasons. It's been a long, long time. Um, and I'll explain them all um, in a, a laundry, laundry list of mishaps uh, that uh, proves where we are now and today. Uh, but basically what happened is Last episode, we put it up to a vote for uh, users or listener, users, listeners to pick the next movie we were going to talk about. Uh, that movie ended up being Major League. It's a movie we recorded an episode for. Um, it's a movie I have all the audio for for Dave and myself, but Mike, uh, who records remotely, um, for his computer crapped out. So um, that episode never got released, and that's why you haven't seen that episode. We've also been really busy doing other things like life and stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah so I got to say, last, last episode was like, I think, possibly the best episode we've it ever It was amazing. Recorded. I mean, we had Charlie we Sheen had, on. Yeah, we had Charlie studio. Sheen. We had Charlie Sheen on the show. Um, um, so it's a shame that you didn't get to hear that. He, I mean, yeah. we recorded it at Cleveland Stadium. <laughs> we, it was yeah. a pretty big deal. So um, it's a shame that that's uh, gone for posterity. But... Uh, you know what? We will uh, pour a little bit of our 40 out for um, our Major League episode. It will always be the lost reviewed um, <laughs> podcast episode. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, what else did I wanted to touch base on? What did you want to talk about what we thought of the movie really quick? Or should we just move on to the should well, it remain I mean, it, a mystery? It's the greatest comedy of all time, Dave. I thought we agreed upon that. <laughs> yeah, no? Dave didn't like anything about the movie. Dave essentially hated the damn thing. No, kept comparing no. it to some other movie that no one's ever heard of, no one even likes. Uh-huh. I've yeah. already forgotten what the hell it was called that you Major League saying. 2. Major League 2. Major League <laughs> 2. No, 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 no. Very, very similar one, to the first one. That you one. liked. You liked one movie that you thought was a better version of it. Oh, uh no, Bull Durham is Bull Durham is Bull Durham. That's not an obscure movie. That's not even English. What what is that? That's just words. Sound. It's not even words. <laughs> I love how that's think, an obscure movie for Mike. That's I think my Durham favorite. Durham is a place, and Bull is the bullpen. I think. Uh, well, their their mascot is also a bull. They yeah. are the uh, okay the bulls. Anyway, so um, anyway, Great. this is your first time listening to this episode. We've been rambling enough. You can f- uh, episode ep- listening to this podcast. You can find us on the web at reviewpodcast.com, facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com to tell us how dumb we are, also to give us uh, movie uh, suggestions. So there you go. But we are finally recording a new episode, and we are doing a very seasonal pick um, that I'm excited to talk about. We are talking about uh, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it. And it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her, death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? So It's a Wonderful Life uh, is a film from 1946. As I said, it's directed by Frank Capra. It stars James Stewart, um, Donna Reed, 
and a few other people. Lionel Barrymore, I guess, is a relatively yeah. big name for the time. Um, so um, it is a holiday classic. It's considered to be one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Um, it's often put up there. Um, and you know, regardless, one of the uh, uh, prototypical Frank Capra movies. Um, I'm going to do my best to uh, summarize it. Basically, it's a story of a man's life in a small town in New York, but an angel helps um, a frustrated businessman by showing what life would have been like if he had never existed. I kind of hate, I, I read that off IMDb, and I kind of hate that um, description because um, I feel like It's a Wonderful Life is misremembered by a lot of people. Hmm. Um, because, you know, the, the big hook being the, the, the end climax where George gets to, George Bailey gets to see life if he was never born. Right. But that's like 20 minutes of a two hour and 10 yeah. minute film. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's very, um, it, it's funny how that's always, you know, saddle, it's saddled with that baggage, but mm. it's not what I would consider what the movie's really about. And also, um, it's, you know, it's a movie that due to copyright, um, limitations, it basically it's, um, it's royalties expired around the 1980s. So because of that, networks would play it endlessly um, on network television around Christmas time. So it became one of the most viewed movies around Christmas time. I don't really consider it. I didn't know that was why. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, the the rights ended up getting... They they ended up putting the rights back uh, in in the nineties, so the, you know no more free money for people. But uh, it's a wonderful life. I don't consider it to be a Christmas movie, at least me personally. Uh, the end does take place at Christmas, that is true. But it's not like the whole movie is about Christmas or takes place around Christmas time. So, um, anywho, my little disclaimer about this film uh, going in. I know we've all seen this picture before, um, but kind of let's go around Robin about our experiences and thoughts uh, with it. Um, you know, two Jews and a Catholic talking about a Christmas movie. Um, so, Mike, what what's your familiarity with the film? Being, um, did, I mean, is this something that you guys watched around Christmas time? Or no, actually, I didn't see it until I think uh, three or four years ago, uh, maybe more, maybe five years ago. Um, but it was uh, watched around Christmas time. I think uh, it was like a Christmas party thing. We all had uh, malt wine um, and sat down and watched it. And I had not seen it. I mean, you've heard I've heard of it, but um, uh, just by name only, I feel like I didn't know anything about it at all. Um, and I was expecting going into it, like seeing like, oh yeah, I've seen this scene before. I've seen these characters and I hadn't. So I uh, went into it completely cold. Um, and I remember liking it then. And uh, I was curious this time when I watched it, I'm like, this is going to, this is going to, uh, you know, stick still this, these many years later. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it still does. And I remember some of the issues I had with it the first time, are still there this time. Um, the biggest one being Ivan, like you said, I feel like the big hook, like the, the, the meat of the movie is in like the last quarter of the movie. And the, you know, the, uh, the rest of it is a lot of buildup and a lot of history. And I think that is definitely different from most movies. Now I feel like we have a lot less of that time up front and a lot more of the time at the end. Um, and I, I think it's almost, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say too many bad things about it because I really, I, I really enjoy the movie. I think it is a classic. I think it's fantastic, um, and I think it is still very appropriate um, to today. It doesn't feel like super dated in the sense of like its overarching themes and uh, ideas. Um, but I do think that some of the stuff that I think movies have gotten leaner and more efficient in modern day, I feel like it kind of needs a little bit of that. I feel like there's there's some meandering in the beginning. I think we, we spend a little bit too much time on the backstory. I think a little too much time in the setup and not enough time in that, you know, really interesting 
almost like different genre movie where it goes from this very down to earth, very, um, you know, uh, grounded movie into suddenly, uh, you know, high fantasy in a way, you know? Um, and again, I think there's some other things here and there, like a couple of cultural things or just things like, I think artifacts of, of the, I think it was made in what, 1947. So, uh, 40, um, some artifacts yeah, of the 46, time, 45, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Which I think are still there, but overall it's, it's great. And I, I loved watching it again and I enjoyed it. And I think, uh, be curious to see what you guys think. Dave, oh, Dave. The, Dave's the, not happy. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Being no, the cold, cold-hearted person who hates fun, um, <laughs> being the Mr. Potter of the podcast, <laughs> what do you feel, feel about It's a Wonderful Life? The Scrooge. No, I really I really like It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, oh, it's hard. It. Sorry, guys. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. We have another Jaws your, episode. This goes against your no, territory. No, he's type. saying that because I didn't like Major League that much. But no, It's a Wonderful Life. It's, it's um, Here, Dave. It's, Bull Durham, uh, Major League. Which, I mean, uh, sorry. Wonderful Life, Bull Durham. Who wins? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, I guess. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, no, you have to, you know, this movie is just uh, really like a like a warm blanket you know it's like this this movie is um it's very idealistic it feels uh a, a tad simplistic sometimes when you're watching it but i think it's underestimating the movie i think it's you know it's if, if i were to say what this movie is about it's about uh community like what what a community can do to lift an individual i would say which i guess you might say and vice versa what, what an individual can do to lift a community right right exactly yeah. so um you know, it's a very, it's got a very positive message, and and James Stewart is just Jimmy Stewart. Are we saying James Stewart? Jimmy Stewart, he's just awesome. You know, he's he great. Was, he was yeah. an awesome actor in the '30s, '40s, and '50s. He was just, you know, he has a personality that, um, you know, that, it, it, you know, I wouldn't say that from role to role it was that distinctive, except for maybe something like Vertigo. Uh, you know, James Stewart is playing the James Stewart role. You know, he, he's just like he's a. Uh, kind of a very um you know idealistic again just like this movie um you know a do-gooder it's hard to imagine jimmy stewart as a villain um you know he's got a very out of a aw shucks quality to him you know people say that uh, tom hanks is is the jimmy stewart of our time so yeah i can see that you can make that comparison so you know it kind of rides on his shoulders and um you know he's he's just fantastic He, he convincingly plays a character that uh um you know, he doesn't have a. He, I guess he does have some flaws, and we can talk about that. But um, you know, you, you believe him when he's uh, everything is going well and, and great at points in the movie, and then when he's suicidal towards the end, and he you know uh, wishes he had never been born. Um, believable there, and uh, just the look of the movie. You know, I, I love the uh, you know movies with snow to put it you know very simply. Well, know, I, love, um... I love movie, <laughs> movies that, that just have like a. Kind of a it's something very warm about this movie. Where it's maybe the fireplaces inside, the snow outside. Well, I, I, I mean, the know. snow is a big deal in this movie because it's uh, it was a spe- it was a, a special effect created for this film mm. uh, that was duplicated before they would use painted cornflakes to mm-hmm. simulate snow to show up on camera, but that messes up with sound because cornflakes are crunchy and loud. Uh-huh. So this movie invented a new process to create fake snow in movies, which is why it's so thick and noticeable in the actual film. Mm. It, uh, what was used, it? What did they use? They used the same material that uh, based on the same material that you would use in a fire extinguisher like the white puffy stuff that comes out of a fire oh, extinguisher okay. and use a compound similar to that so hmm. yeah yeah they should have just filmed it in the snow <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know crews would have loved that yep 
Yeah, so I mean, you know, when you're shooting out in California on a, a soundstage, you know, it's, yeah. Well, as I understand it, they, like that whole town was like a set. Yeah, Bedford is Falls is a set that they built. They built that. They built like a a few blocks stretch of Bedford Falls. That part that he runs down at the end is a big movie set, which is really cool and impressive. That's really impressive because yeah, it's huge. It's huge, yeah. and it doesn't feel. Is is one shot where it feels like a set? I think when he's on a date with. Uh, Mary, when they first come onto that street, it's like a very clearly a backdrop and a street. Everything I mean, else, though, feels uh, like could be a location. They end up buying. Um, so, it's a wonderful life. Um, I think is a great movie. Um, it's one of my several. Like, I remember recently uh, there was a big Twitter thing about like your seven movies or whatever. Do you remember that? Uh, that yeah. Uh, it's wonderful life is up there at the top for me um, as one of the seven essential movies. It's the only movie to. Um, really make me cry ever. Um, Mm. um, And in fact, I have never not cried while watching this movie and I rewatch it for this podcast. And my wife turned to me and she's like, what? Like I, I, I just, I couldn't, like I, this movie um, wears you down Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where it's like really for, (laughs) it really, uh, it's just, I don't know what it is about it. And I can, I can try to analyze why I find this movie so emotionally affecting. Um, But it takes, it's like this idea that the, this movie is about a guy named George George Bailey, obviously played by Jimmy Stewart, and the whole movie is him being shit on, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so at the end of the movie, when you know things come his way and everyone comes to support him, it's like this idea of that. It's it's a very um, Horatio Alger type idea. Like if you just work hard and pick yourself up by your bootstraps, eventually the, those good deeds will be enough that it will uh, inspire other people and and. Uh, it just for some reason that gets me. And when his brother Harry says to my brother George, the richest man in town, that line is like I, I'm getting a little like choked up thinking oh, about no. him saying that <laughs> wow. now because I just find that moment. It, it, the movie is is got so much darkness leading up to that point, and at the end, it's such a jubilant, ju- jubilant, jubilant, uh, jubilant. Um, yes, um, portrayal of happiness. There's so much joy in that ending. It's just that that contrast just really you know, puts me through the ringer. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this movie. I love how it's... Um, people remember Frank Capra as kind of like the sappy director. That's kind of like his thing. Like Capra-esque is a term right. when you refer to things as kind of being saccharine and, and syrup, syrupy. He's kind um, of like the Spielberg of, of the time. A little bit. And yeah. you know he's you know he has those sentimental tendencies. But I'd argue It's a Wonderful Life is a deep... Like it is a, it's a real movie. It's not like a Hallmark-type uh, oh, no, no, um, no. It, it's not it, it earns its syrupiness I would say and I would also say that um, it gets it, the reason that, that that stuff really works is it, it's not afraid to be pretty freaking dark yeah. um, in a lot of aspects of this film um, that you know it just doesn't pull a lot of punches in, in that regards so I think that that's why the movie works I think that all the drama stuff is dark and real and um, I think there are a lot of incredibly memorable scenes i don't necessarily you know at two hours and 10 minutes there probably is length stuff like you know going on what mike said about you know getting into it further but i just don't know what you'd cut i just love almost every scene in the movie i have one there's one major problem with it's a wonderful life and it's something that you can only view while being in 2016 watching a movie made in 1946 but the character of mary um i think is a great character because they don't make her just arm candy for our protagonist she's a you know a woman with spunk and intelligence and um you know you know she's a you know a a traditional 1940s 50s housewife character in the sense that she you know has kids and takes care of the home but she's no by no means a prop she's a smart 
uh, intelligent woman. I, the, the movie has one major flaw, though, is when it represents the worst outcome for what Mary could have become. It's uh, the woman who does. It's the woman who doesn't have kids and works at the library in the alternate version oh, of reality, oh, right, right, right. which I always found that's like the one uh, anachronist. She has glasses. She has glasses oh and works at the library. <laughs> what horror! Um, well, it's it's really more. I think it's supposed to really. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really more about the fact that she never found love, really, more than anything else. She's alone. So it's less that she's a librarian specifically and more about that she's a But it's the librarian single. glasses that implies loneliness. Exactly. And, 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 yeah. And, well, and, but the other the other issue I have with that is, um, well, we, I want to ask you guys a question um, after I state this. But I don't buy for a second that Mary Hatch, the character, would not find a husband in the absence of George Bailey. She's a beautiful, intelligent uh, yeah, woman. I think it's she, she I, just I, would she would have found somebody else. Probably. Basically. Well, no, I think that's an interesting thing about her character is that it's not so much that no other guys would marry her. I think it's more of that she kind of just chooses because she fell in love with George. Oh, I guess she never knew him, though. Interesting. Um, I guess it's just the fact that she has high standards and maybe she just never met a guy that would make her happy. I never took it as like, oh, she can never find a man. No one wanted her. I think it was more of a she could never find a man that she wanted. Um, because it's very clear that people like her. I mean, she's no, she's no violet <laughs> walking around town, you know, but, um, I, I think that, and that's kind of how I interpret it is that she's still smart, but she's just, I don't know, no one else really ever did her for her. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, so here's what my theory is. Um, I don't, I don't actually think. So the end of the movie is, is the big moment of this movie is Clarence, his guardian angel, an angel second class. He doesn't have his wings yet. Um, has to come and convince George that life is worth living, essentially. Um, I don't think that the future he shows him is an accurate depiction of what the world would be like without George Bailey. I think it's tailored specifically for George to see how important he is, but I don't necessarily think that a lot of this stuff would have gone down like that, you know, uh, necessarily. There was a whole, um, I was reading a lot about this movie in preparation for this podcast about uh, other critics about what, you know, what they're talking about critically in, in regards to this movie and some person did this whole thesis essay about how Potterville's kind of great and the uh the, you know we're, you know it's meant to look like this seedy place but he's talking about how Potterville would be Pottersville would be a more place that fun place to hang out in uh-huh. than Bedford Falls would be well why uh, is that because so there's stuff to do there's nightclubs there's dancing yeah that's what was interesting is it there even when he I mean, yeah. there, I mean, we, there were no, uh, there were no nudie shows. Let me tell you, in Bedford Falls, if you oh, want to have okay. a cl- cl- classy evening, yeah. I, I think the point is, um, <laughs> there's a wholesome view. Um, there's a wholesome view of um, like 1940s and 50s Americana that Frank Capra is kind of obsessed with as a filmmaker. He shows that in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and in this movie as well. Um, that um, I think. You know, anything that comes contradiction to the, con, um, comes up in opposition to that is viewed as like bad or negative. Um, and I don't know. If that... I think it's the idea of you know the idea of uh, family. I think family is a very big uh, theme in the movie, and I think the fact that Bedford Falls is a family town. It's made by you know the working class um, for their families to raise their kids, and the alternate reality is a sprawling city with you know they don't show enough of the. I mean, you see some of the shows. But I would have liked to have seen more of, like, what the quality of people... Like, if you see some drunk staggering out of a bar. I think, like, as it stands, you know, aside from the, you know, like you said, the the, the girls, the live girls and all that stuff, 
the rest of it looks like it could just be a fun, bustling city. We don't see enough of like the negative impact. You know what I mean? Like no, yeah, and I, and I, that might also be intentional too, because the goal like, is just to show who George is personally connected. I with. mean, think about a, an extreme example of this. If you think about Back to the Future, the second movie, right, where he yeah. goes in the future, oh, it's an like, obvious riff on this on this movie. Right, it? right, exactly. Like something like that, where you're kind of seeing more of like the decay, the moral decay, and, and less about it. It felt more industry and more about. But I'm like, some people really like city life, and they might watch this movie now and say, like you just said, Ivan, this doesn't seem so bad. You know, show. I think I think you mostly see that when you get into the bar and you see the old man, the uh, the druggist who's become like you know an abused alcoholic homeless person, and how uh, Nick is kind of a jerk behind the bar. Who, by the way, has the best line in the whole movie? Hey, look at me! I'm giving out wings. <laughs> you must be a jailbird yourself. Like his accent is just so amazing. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a fair point um, to make about that. I I, I wonder. I mean, personally, I, I get what they're going for, and I, I'd right. rather hang out yeah, in Bedford yeah. Falls than Pottersville. I just think that's an interesting counter-argument that you could make uh, about kind of what the movie is saying. The, the one thing I, I think is very interesting is Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart are like, you know, ardent capitalist, anti-communist, like, men, you know, in their, you know, in their political views at that time. But this movie is very much a socialistic movie and kind of anti-capitalism in a lot of ways, because the villain of the movie is a banker who is the, uh, the, uh, the epitome of a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. He's a guy who makes money and it's doesn't true. care about, he, you know, he, you know, he works the system to make money. Mr. Potter. I mean, I, I think it's not, cause I, th- I feel like there's still a lot of capitalistic views in the sense of, you know, it's not like they're giving away money for free, right? They're just giving people an opportunity to actually do something with it, right? But like, I mean, if you would if you would parlay that to current politics, like Republicans don't think poor people deserve a shot. <laughs> like you know, it's very much like that's a very like. Well, no, I, I think that's a I think it's probably a blanket statement. But I think the the point is that like I, I agree with you, and I think definitely if you were to kind of if you had to divide it between where would this fall politically now, I agree. I think it probably aligns itself a little more to the, closer to Democratic. Um, side at least and i think in the extreme uh i mean versions you, of that but. you know the other the flip side of that is that you know it, maybe what capra saw in this movie if they're capitalists is that jimmy stewart george bailey is a man who's worked very very hard to get to where he is right he's just he's fighting against the system in a way so yeah i think that's if, the thing if, it's kind of like the idea of, of of capitalism at its darkest versus capitalism as what it maybe what it should be right like i never got the sense that it was anti capitalism i think it's like anti-greed and maybe anti-trust you know the idea of of one big organization coming through and just doing whatever it wants to with the small town versus trying to build it up from the like you know the grassroots style thing where everybody's kind of building it up and everybody's working hard and doing their part and they're paying off their loans and they're you know doing everything fair but they're doing it for the right reasons in the right way Hmm. um yeah it's one of those things where um it's uh, you know you know I said I don't consider this to be a Christmas movie, but those ideals are very ideas are very much Christmas, right? Like this idea of generosity and giving and supporting mm, one yeah. another. Like and, and in that sense, thematically, it does fit very well uh, as as a Christmas film. One thing I wanted to talk about is George himself. So throughout the entire movie, and I noticed it, you know, in rewatching this time around, George is given opportunities to get out and multiple times and he never takes those opportunities in every instance where like you think he's going to escape and something pulls him back in so after his father di- you know he's about to leave on his european trip and then his father dies so he can't leave mm-hmm. and then you know he's like about to go to school and get out of the town and they're like well you have to take over the building alone or you know they're going to foreclose you know they're going to give it up to potter um 
in every one of those situations, like right before those scenes happen, there's always a character like, oh, no, don't worry about it. Get out of town. You don't have to stay around for this. Uh, you should leave. Like Uncle Billy says, you, you know, you, you should go and leave and go to college. We got this all figured out here. And then when uh, he's on his wedding day, which happens to be the run, of, run on the bank, and when they're driving by, um, Mary's like, oh, don't stop. Don't stop. Just keep going. And George is like, no, no, I'm going to get out and see what's going on. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that George is kind of his own worst enemy in a lot of ways. Like, well, like, they kind of play it also it, as him doing, like, they, they are implying that he's doing the right thing. They're picking right, right, him right. doing the right thing over what, what might actually be better for him you know the right thing he has opportunities to to be selfish or selfless and i think he always goes with this the, the latter option where he's always going toward i can help other people at my own expense and i think that's kind of important because that's the whole crux of the movie he's been doing that for so many years when it comes time for him when it's you know someone needs to bail him out uh they they uh they do the town comes together to bail bailey out oh <laughs> that's why that's why he's called bailey he's just always bailing everybody out figured it out i cracked it cracked it so i think um yeah i think i think he has opportunities but i think he knows what what the price of those opportunities would be and i I think actually one of the most interesting scenes is the scene where he um you know finally kind of professes his love to mary where it's not your typical maybe it is i don't know but it was like weird it was kind of I don't want to. I'll let you finish. I just, I'm going to let you finish in a second. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but man, Beyonce is, is the best music is, video of all time. That scene you're referring to is the best scene in the whole movie. I, I would argue. But continue. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I think it's. I think it's the most complex, right? Because he and I, and I think you even see his reluctance as he's on his way over there. I think part of him knows that he really likes her, and I think he knows if he goes over there and he talks to her, he might end up getting stuck there. And I think that's exactly what happens. And I think he's fighting it off, fighting it off. He's kind of brushing her off, doing whatever. He forgets his hat by accident. Whether you think that was. You know, subconsciously, maybe he uh, subliminally left it there. Um, but I feel like he's he's very clearly pulled and attracted to her. But he knows that, like, if I do this, this basically means I'm going to sacrifice everything I've ever wanted. So I'm going to have to stay here with her and raise a family. And I think that that's really interesting. I, I'm not sure any of the movie where I've seen something like that where, you know, the, the profession of his love is in some way almost like a death of his dreams as well. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. seems like he's almost angry. Well, he, obviously, it is. He's angry about it. But he's also... He accepts it. It's just very, very interesting. I, I like it. I like that scene. Oh, yeah. That scene's great. Uh, it also has one of the greatest movie kisses of all time, I would argue. Um, uh, there, kiss is a little weird. She's talking to Sam Wainwright on, you know, at the end of that scene, she's talking to Sam Wainwright on the phone and they look at each other and there's a moment where, I mean, these these two actors are just amazing uh, in this movie. Uh, Donna Reed especially. I think she does an yeah. amazing work. But the kiss is it is a combination of anger and emotion and love. Like it's not purely passionate in the sense that it, like you said, Mike, it's kind of George not giving up, but he's letting go of another dream. He's surrendering. Yeah. He's, he's letting go of another life that he thought he could have for himself at that time. But at the same time, them, them finally getting together is so satisfying uh, because you never really have that moment. They never get that kiss really um in the courtship scene after the uh they fall in the pool and they're walking back and you never get that moment they they kind of postpone that to later so it's it's an incredible scene um you know the way it's staged the way it's performed the way it looks and and i think that's the kind of that's the kind of scene i think that separates us from a lot of other movies of its time i think you know you're talking about it being saccharine i mean that's a pretty dark scene when you look at it like he's going to the woman that he's really in love with and he's just treating her like garbage because he kind of knows, like, I have to do this. If I ever want anything for myself, if I want to get out of here, I have to do this. Um, 
and, and I think in any other movie, this would be just like a wonderful romantic. They would have kissed on that first date, and he would have always loved her. And then eventually, when she comes in town, he would have just swept her off her feet, and they walk off into the sunset together. But I think you have a really good, interesting moment of conflict in the heart of the protagonist. And then you see that kind of come back and haunt him later. Like, you can see very clearly when he's going off on his bender... Um, that he's regretting, like I made the wrong, I made the wrong decision. I, I gave up what I wanted to give up what I wanted for this, and I'm not happy. And now look at this, it bit me in the ass, and now I want to go to jail for everything I did. Like, I, I, I think that's really interesting. That's really, again, really um, not characteristic of films of its time, perhaps. No, and I think that's why the movie is so good. I, um, there is that darkness that's throughout. Uh, there is, I mean, there's some crazy dark moments in this movie, as you said. The seeing Gower in the alternate reality is so dark and disturbing. Um, he's the uh, the druggist the druggist yeah yeah that's uh, like really that sad scene, like, even as a kid that like freaked me out like just Gower's face in that scene freaks oh, me it's, out it's heartbreaking um, yeah. and then um, just the whole um, sequence you know with with I don't know I just as someone who I'm very happy with my life I don't want to say that I'm not but as someone who's always had alternate dreams as well I sure. think there's, there's moments where you you always question if I did something differently and this movie isn't afraid to show that kind of reality. And what, what is success really? You know, like how do we define success? And the movie's making the argument you find, you, you know, you define success. So I had a, my high school principal always had a quote that he said, you know, you know how well, uh, uh, you did in life by how many pe- uh, people show up your funeral if it's raining or not. Like this idea that if it's raining on your funeral and a lot of people show up, it means you're a pretty good guy. If it was a nice day, you know, <laughs> nice day doesn't mean anything. The idea is that people have to really right. like you enough to support you when it's not convenient for them, right. <laughs> basically. And I think that this movie's kind of saying that. They're saying that George has affected so much. Well, I mean, that, in that way, it's saying that you're, you're suggesting that it's it's only a wonderful life if you're liked, you know, like I think, you know, you can still be a, you know, you can still be a, a lonely person. You can still be married working at the library and it can still be a wonderful life, right? It not for her to, in this yeah. movie. <laughs> well, not for her in this movie, but I mean, in, I yeah. mean, what you're getting at in general is that, is that you, um, I, w- I would argue against the, it's the, it's the number of people that show up at your funeral because you know what I, what, funerals what I, are really depressing and who wants who really wants to go to a funeral it's not and you know what too it depends you, you could be a, an amazing person and only touch a few people's lives but touch them very very well and mm-hmm. not be you know the, the popular guy that everybody loves and you know still have a decent life um you know i, I wanted to say something about this that i think is really interesting because we've done a lot of other movies that kind of touch on similar topics like you've um of just the idea of you know the the dream deferred or just, I guess, the um, underbelly of Americana and the American dream. And we got, you know, we, we did uh, American Beauty, we did Blue Velvet, we did uh, The Graduate, which I think all kind of look at this idea of like the nuclear family and like these you know, white picket fence and what's going on behind closed doors. And I think it kind of tackles it from a really unique per- point of view. And I, I like it because every other movie kind of just looks at like, yo, it's effed up. America's screwed up. Like these families are all messed up. There's nothing, you know, good about any of this stuff, really. But I feel like this movie kind of addresses the fact that it's not quite so clear cut. Like I, a lot of marriages don't start out loveless. I think they get that way over time due to circumstances. And I like seeing to go back on my earlier statement. What I do like about seeing the longer setup for everything is you can kind of see where he's coming from and what he does and why he's making decisions. Um. And how that could still drive you to a point where you're considering suicide. But, you know, we're seeing the full picture, not just the last 10 years, not just the last 20 years or, the you know, whatever. We're seeing the full spectrum. We're seeing the fact that he really does love his wife and he does love his kids, but he's having a bad day or a bad series of days. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel it's like not just it, a bad day. <laughs> right, right, right. We're seeing that even his most recent circumstances are, are tough, right? I think it kind of shows that. But it does it in a way where you're kind of getting the full picture. It's not just like, oh, yeah, life in the suburbs is just terrible. And, you know, that's it. It's like, oh, just life itself is terrible. And this is, you know, an example of how this can manifest in a, in a suburban nuclear family, you know? Well, I, I think that, you know, the movie's trying to say that life is hard. Um, yeah. It is. And, and being a good person is hard and doing uh, doing work. And, I mean, it, it can be tough. Um, and this movie is all about a guy who's worked really hard and had to, uh, you know, kind of, you know, go against his own happiness uh, to make to help out other people. And it's just, that's why this movie gets to me so much. It's like, it's kind of just like, you know, it's fighting the good fight. It's fighting that daily fight of, um, of uh, kind of facing the day, basically, and having yeah, facing your own demons, facing your own inner thoughts and regrets. And, and I think it, that's what's interesting is that he's a perfect character. If you think about it, for most of the movie, he is the perfect guy. He always makes the right decision. Everyone loves him. He's he you know lights up a room. He always does everything great. But even he is brought to like this really really ugly and dark place where he's you know, yelling at his kids and you know yelling at everybody and thinking about killing himself. I think that's well, interesting it's because he gets, he gets to that perfect. point. I'm sorry. Sorry, Mike. I, I just I just think it's interesting. It's a good choice. You, you you take someone that's you know essentially perfect, and then you kind of put them through the ringer, versus just having like a flood character from the start, or just a perfect character all the way through. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think what sends him over the edge is that he's he's uh, tried to be so perfect for so long that uh, you know, and, and things still don't go well for him. You know, until you know after after the last bit of the movie. Well, I mean, even, um, I mean, he, he's even a good person when he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, I mean, as you say, Mike, I mean, he has a really rough, I think that, well, one thing, reason this movie is so successful is at the end, it is not afraid to show how dark it gets for him. I both, uh, Jimmy Stewart's performance, who's excellent, uh, just that, that sequence where his like kids are, you know, playing the Christmas carols on the piano and there's like a shot of him sitting in the chair, like just like biting his nails, you know, like, look like that just get uneasy thinking about it. But, um, but also like, it's something you can relate to too. I mean, I find myself, you know, having these moments in my life where I'm like, why, why did I just like, uh, say that to my daughter? You know, like, like this is a great life I have. I don't want to do anything to mess this up. Yeah. And well, I mean, um, but he's still even like a great guy though, because he goes to Potter to beg for money right at the end of that movie uh, or at the end, you know, end sequence of the movie. And, um, he claims that he lost the money, not Billy. Like he doesn't even throw right. Billy under the bus. It right. was so easy to say, no, it was the crazy guy. Like and, and even and Potter even knows he's lying because he knows that Uncle Billy right. gave him the money. Which is <laughs> right. just, which is just again, he's like even good when he's like on on the, the darkest end you know, the darkest road for him, which I think is so impressive. Um, well, I don't think it's character. quite as dark at that point, right? Because I think he goes to him. Then from there, he goes home, and then he realizes, like, I'm I'm in deep. I'm in like I can't even get money. Oh no, you're right. Because he goes to him, then he goes to the bar directly after. You're right. Right. You're right. right. Yeah. I, I I don't know. It's just uh, I find that all very compelling and uh, interesting character stuff about who this guy is and um, and how good Jimmy Stewart is. And I think this movie has two perfect close-ups. Uh, two of my favorite close-ups in all of movies. One is when um, they're like, they're going to sell to Potter if you don't, like uh, the building of Lone, and then uh, he walks right into camera. Like, mm-hmm. And then he, they do a very similar shot when Clarence is taking him to his house that is not his house anymore. It's like the, you know, it's an unfixed up ghost house, basically. And he's running down the steps, and he just comes straight into camera looking around, and he's unshaven, and he's sweaty, and he's just, it's panic. And it, 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 it 
you know, it, it probably wouldn't work as well if it was not shot in black and white and it wasn't a movie from 1946, but his face is so right. big. This and movie was colorized, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah you know, I have I have the Blu-ray of the colorized version and I've never okay. once put it in because nah. like that. This movie does this movie is gorgeous. Like yeah. it's one, it is so beautifully shot in black and white. Uh, the way that they use shadow and color like when he comes into Mary's uh when he goes into their bedroom and Mary tells them that she's pregnant, the, the way they cast, the, the, there's light coming through the curtains and it's reflecting shadows on the walls and the way it dances around. It's just, it's spectacularly shot. It just looks amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, this is a great example of craft and story and character kind of all coming together for me. Uh, I thought you I just a, said it's a great example of crap. And I was like, wait, what? Craft. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, couple interesting things to note. One thing I'd like to discuss. Um, this is a movie where the villain A never gets his comeuppance. Uh, yeah. Kind of wins um, mm. and never won. He's ne- there's never a scene like in a lesser movie. There would have been a scene where someone like at the end after Mr. Potter like loses, someone knocks him out of his wheelchair and he's like all humiliated. <laughs> like that would have been in like or he, yeah, he falls over. He, he drops the money and everyone realizes, oh, you yeah. had the money the whole time. Yeah, ah. that, that would have happened in a movie and everyone would have pointed and laughed and he would no. Potter is never humiliated the entire movie. He is always um, he's this cruel figure and he's kind of almost a cartoonish villain, but he's never. Uh, he's never given the comeuppance, which I think is in the movie's favor, because George succeeds despite that, which I think yep. is really cool. Um, other notes, um, there's a whole uh, – Uncle Billy is the worst character ever, and um, <laughs> there's a whole Onion piece. You know, the, have you seen, like, the Onion movie reviews where they yeah. have the guy doing, like, the fake movie reviews? Yep. You should check out the one for <laughs> um, It's a Wonderful Life because uh, – Basically, it's just six minutes of him railing about how stupid Uncle Billy is. Which is... I think I've seen this. I think I've seen this. Who? What's the name of the guy? I forget his well, name. Well, his fictional name is Peter Rosenthal. He's the official yes. film yes. critic at the Onion. He wears like a sweater vest and has like a has the creepy uh, smile. Yeah. And the, he did the whole thing about uh, I think it's Twilight. He's like my favorite part of Twilight. Uh, is it Twilight? Yeah, the vampire movie. He's like, I like the boys, and he has like a notebook with all pictures of the, all the male <laughs> characters. And he talk, the whole movie review is talking about their abs and. Yeah, yeah the, 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 that series is great, and they're one of it's wonderful life is particularly good. Um, but the the person who doesn't give enough um, crap in the movie for being an awful person is Harry Bailey, his brother. And let me explain why. <laughs> oh wow! And he murdered. How many... Where Harry can like take over and like make sure that his brother, who's done everything for him, including save his life at the beginning of the movie, um, Harry always backs out on him. He never comes through. Like the whole sequence where he basically tells he t- he lets his uh, family know that he's getting married uh randomly as he comes home from school after he's gone to school before um george was able to he was he promised uh george that he would take over the job at the building alone and he refuses to like he's he kind of gets out of all the things that george wanted to get out of (laughs) and i always thought that was kind of interesting that you know he's he's a war hero and he's obviously supposed to be deemed as a good character but there's something about him that drives me nuts throughout the entire movie that he's never like he never like mans up, you know. Yeah, he, yeah, movie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever thought about my. Yeah, I, I didn't until just now, but you're right. It's one of those things that you just kind of I didn't really consider, but you're right. Yeah, he's he's totally like a, a punk little brother of of not, you know, just skirting around responsibility. Like, oh hey, yeah, yeah, I got another job. I'm not gonna be able to take the one at the building the war, alone. Didn't he? He did save. Yeah, he got drafted into the war. He did Come save on. an entire troop transport and restore the medal, medal of honor. You know, whatever, no big deal. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it is interesting how some people are able to defy 
like some people don't want to do things they just don't do them whereas george isn't that kind of person he kind of always ends up being the one to do those things you know so right yeah um anywho um i think that's good though because it contrasts with george and you know just because like george would never do something like that so it's it's you know while george is bailing everybody out <laughs> his brother's just always bailing out on everything Oh boy! Nailed it, guys. Two secrets, one podcast. You're welcome. You're There's a lot welcome. of bailing. There's a lot of bailing, Bailey, bailing. Um, <laughs> oh, God, guys. So a couple it's our best other, yet. There are a couple other minor nits with the movie. Logical flaws. Uh, the bank, the run on the bank scene, which I love that scene so much. I love that scene so much because there's like all the people that are like I need. Uh, you know, I want my $247, you know, like the guy who wants everything, that little punk. But then there's the, uh, the one woman who's like, can you give me 1850? And he, <laughs> he like kisses her. That's just like, it's just so, um, it's such an yeah. amazing scene. Um, but that, that sequence is always kind of driving me nuts in one way because that's their wedding day, which mm-hmm. means they got married on a weekday because it's, the bank is open and there's a that's run true. in the bank. So that means they got married on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> oh, I, it could, couldn't be an early Saturday. Banks don't close until noon on a Saturday, right? I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. It's a little, a little something that kind of always just drives me a little nuts. But uh, <laughs> no, I'll accept it. You know, whatever. But something. Also, that uh, Martini's Bar is – I guess it would make sense that Martini's Bar is so crowded on Christmas Eve. But, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, also, wait, Nick's and, Bar or Martini's Bar? Martini's, Martini and Nick's Bar. <laughs> both of them are packed. Well, wait, we're talking Christmas about the one – the real one or the alternate one? Both. Both are pretty cr- – well, I guess is Martini's crowded when he goes there? When It's Mr. pretty crowded, yeah. yeah Mr. It's Welsh crowded. punches him. Um, but anyway. Um, sorry, what were you going to say, Dave? I was going to say, and, and uh, what do you guys think of the uh, the whole angel aspect of this movie? This movie actually opens with a special effect, right? It, well, In outer the, space. You know, it's funny because, you know, if you start – so um, you st- the movie starts with, like, children praying, and then it cuts to the sky sequence where you see, like, stars – lighting up to indicate Joseph and, you know, these characters. Um, I can understand someone seeing the first five minutes and be like, nope, turning off the movie. Like, nope, not for me. I can't, I can't deal with it. Um, it's funny how that stuff isn't kind of revisited, though, until the end supernatural stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I don't know if that stuff totally works for me, the blinking stars. It might be something <laughs> that... Um, uh, it's, it's got its charm. I mean, yeah. I like it. I like that it's because I think it normally would have been, you know, some kind of an angel. I think I like that it's it's more almost like a scientific angel. It's it's these galaxies, um, <laughs> which I feel like is different than normally what we would see. We'd usually see some kind of wings or something like uh, or Clarence's glowing commentary. I enjoy that where he's like, "Nice face. I like it. I like George. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that I like, guy. I like, yeah, yeah. I like Clarence as a narrator." Um, so I don't know. And it's funny how the movie, it's very interesting how, what the movie chooses. It's obviously a very Christian movie, you know, I'd say, I'd say Judeo Christian, but it is interesting. You guys got angels, right? No, but I don't think it matters. No, but it it, it doesn't, but it, but it's, it's definitely a conscious choice that the movie does not cast Jesus as the star. You know, it is not, it's Joseph, not Jesus, which I think is very interesting. That's what I'm saying. I think I see it's interesting because I think probably for its time, I know you said that most people would turn it off in the first five minutes, but I think back then that was the norm. That was kind of, I think most people had some kind of a fate. So I think that was a lot more common. So it was less of a turnoff for people. Um, and oh, then also I think yeah, because sure. by, by making it, yeah, Joseph, I don't know if it's necessarily like Joseph in the sense of, you know, Jesus's father, Joseph, or just a generic name of an angel, Joseph, or, um, but it's, it is very generic in its, theology right like he prays to a god right he doesn't ever pray to jesus he prays to god 
and angels, like I said before, I mean, they're also, that's part of, I think, uh, Jewish uh, theology and, and uh, mythology as well. So it's, it's, it's a very generic kind of almost a blanket religion. I think everybody can kind of get a piece of, um, and, and, and despite it being Christmas time, um, I think it's kind of has a broader appeal because of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all in, um, this movie's great guys. Uh, it's I, good. I, I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about it, Dave, in terms of your thoughts. I mean, um, are there other Christmas movies that you like? I mean, did you grow die up? Die Hard? Did, we did, did Die you, Hard? Did, well, we did do Die Hard, but did you... Name some Christmas movies. Did you watch Christmas movies growing up? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember which ones. Um, there was this movie in the 80s that came out called uh, just Santa Claus with Dudley Moore. You guys I thought you were going to... No, I Terrible thought you, movie. I thought you were going to talk about The Santa Christmas Claus, movie. the Tim Allen film. With Tim Allen, that's where I, I went too. <laughs> no, I never saw that one. Um, I like that one. Yeah, I don't know. Chris, what other Christmas movies are there? I mean, I, I think There's of... There's um, Miracle on 34th Street. Okay. There. Well, fun fact, we were actually, I, I suggested that as an alternate, since I'd already seen this movie, uh, mm-hmm. I suggested that one as well, because I still haven't seen that one. I'm not upset with our choice. I think it's great. Enjoyed it. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's always... I still would like to see that one. There's always A Christmas Story, which I guess I watched plenty. Oh, yeah, up. yeah. Duh. A Christmas I mean, Story? I've never, I've never seen that one, actually. What? How yeah. do you not see these movies? Like, come on. I don't know. Because um, I was so, too busy watching the Peanuts Christmas uh, movie. Yes. And that's, that's what... <laughs> You mean the uh, the the uh, Christmas special with, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, okay. There's the Star Wars Christmas special. You uh, the, know, other yes, classics. the Star Wars <laughs> holiday special. I think they call it the holiday special. Um, uh, what other Christmas movies are there? I mean, uh, my, my favorite Christmas movie is actually Fantasia, which is it isn't really a Christmas movie, Wait, when, but it's not. It's the movie what? that I always enjoy watching around Christmas the most. Wait, okay. <laughs> The, the Disney movie Fantasia. I know, I know, but like, but that's you, the, you know, I, I think the reason might be is that a big uh, one of the big song, uh, one of the big classical pieces in that is the Nutcracker, and the Nutcracker okay. is associated with oh, okay. Christmas. I, I, I want to go back to your statement. You said my, like you're like my favorite Christmas movie is uh, uh, Fantasia. That's like me saying like like. My favorite comedy is Shawshank Redemption. Like, no, not no, not even close. Come on. <laughs> I mean, there's the Nutcracker suite in that movie. I mean, it doesn't make it a Christmas movie. Ah, uh, whatever. The Nutcracker is a Christmas thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I watched a lot of Christmas movies growing up, um, but this one is like one that would we'd always come back to as a family just because um, it's so touching. Um, but yeah, I mean. Christmas Story is a classic, man. That's, yeah. That works. Um, you know, it's funny. I've actually seen clips of that, and I've been like, I really don't want to have anything to do with this movie. It just doesn't seem funny. <laughs> it didn't do it's it for like, you. I think it's the dry voiceover on top of everything else, and I'm just like, nah, it does never appeal to me. Yeah, I don't. And I don't think a Christmas Story is a great movie. I think it's a good movie, and you know, but it has like this. Once you, if you enjoy that movie, it's got a very rewatchable quality to it, I guess, which is why they play it every Christmas. You know, it's a. It wasn't uh, immediately considered a classic when it came out. You know, it, it was just like it's a wonderful life. Although I think it's t- the time span between. You know, it was much shorter. Uh, you know, I remember seeing a Christmas story just on repeat on cable. I mean, isn't there a channel that shows a Christmas story like for twenty four hours? Yeah, on Christmas? TBS, I believe, does. Okay, yeah. Um, sorry, going back to what I was talking about earlier about how it's distinctly not. It never calls out Christianity directly with the angel stuff, mm-hmm. and I have a theory behind this. I just looked something up. The okay. screenwriters, Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, they were a husband and wife screenwriting team. They're both Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I think that's – there has to be some correlation there that they would choose to use Joseph as that figure and not 
something else, but I don't know. Maybe what was not. the story of Joseph? I'm, I'm well, Joseph is Jesus's father, right? Uh, well, you could also, it could be uh, the older yeah. Joe, uh, the coat of many colors guy. Oh yeah, there yeah, you go. That's what I think. From the Old Testament, yeah. Isn't Joseph Jesus's dad? No? Yeah, 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 he is. I, yeah, I mean, there was there was more than one Joseph. Okay. Yeah. Jo- I thought but, you were okay. referring to the other yeah, one. Yeah, maybe uh-huh. it is the coat of many colors guy. I don't know. <laughs> Who's Joseph's it's, dad? it's vague Jacob, on purpose. Jacob's Joseph's dad. All right, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, too many names. Too, <laughs> too many J's. Yeah. Um, any other scenes that really stick out with you? I mean, have we, we haven't really talked about the ending scene, which in my opinion is the most famous scene of the movie. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, the movie, that's the scene I saw before. I actually saw the movie itself. You know, they they would show that every scene. time an and every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Yeah, just the whole him, him coming home and like uh, running through the house and saying, "Where is everybody? Oh, I'm so happy just to be home." And, and you know, and they all sing uh, "Old Lang Song," which I can never pronounce that right. The, uh, the New Year's Eve "Old Lang Song," and, and they actually sing it correctly. I mean, it's it's, that, it's pretty impressive, dude. That scene is makes me an emotional wreck. Like yeah, well, everything it's supposed of, to, I think. It, but it's um. I don't know how to explain it. Do you ever feel like uh, it used to? It used to make me well up, but it, it doesn't really anymore. But <laughs> you have no soul. But that's that's, that's true. It's a, but Ivan doesn't have a soul either. He jaded. finds <laughs> something in this. I mean, I mean, I had a therapeutic cry, guys. Like mm-hmm. two nights ago when I was watching this, like I had like a moment where like I was bawling for like five minutes, and I haven't nice. cried. I haven't mm-hmm. cr- like sometimes it feels good to cry. Like mm-hmm. it felt good. Like. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, it felt cathartic. I felt refreshed. Yeah, I this think, is one of those movies that I think is famous for that. I mean, like the ending of Rocky, the ending of E.T., the ending of, you know, this movie. Um, I'm trying to think maybe uh, Love Story, which I've never actually seen. Neither have I, uh, and, uh, But, you know, there's certain movies that are famous for their crying. And I can tell you recently there was a movie that, that uh, did that to me, but and we, we were just talking about it before the podcast, and it was Manchester by the Sea. Oh, wow. Gotcha. And that, you know, it's rare for me to, to actually, for anything to really... Uh, kind of cut through the, uh, I guess, the Zoloft. I don't know. It's, you know, it's like I don't really get, I don't really get that emotional in movies anymore. And um, uh, Manchester by the Sea, uh, uh, you know, walking out of the movie, I mean, I was just, you know, I was just, just uh, <laughs> could, I could not hold back tears. I, it, it, it's, it's been a lot, I can't remember the last time a movie did that. I think, um, I remember seeing Million Dollar Baby, the Clint Eastwood movie. Really? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I have. Yeah, well, I, well, I don't know what it was, but it, sometimes it's just like the right movie at the right moment for you, you know. But that, you know, seeing that in the theater, you know I left shaken. There's something um, about boxing movies. But the Cinderella Man got to me. Yeah, it didn't really do. There was like the sequence where he like he's oh man he's fighting. That's, that's kind of a Christmas movie. It feels like a Christmas. Movie. He's like just because things are cold does not make it a Christmas movie. <laughs> well, maybe that's maybe we should just call it snowy movies instead of a Christmas. Movie. By that, by that, you know what? You had, we had the same problem when you were talking about The Godfather. Like I always think of it as a Christmas movie. There's one scene that takes place at Christmas time yeah. by the department store. You're like it's always like a Christmas movie for one Christmas scene. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie. There you go. Um, no, I, um, I, you know, Big Fish almost made me cry. Big Fish, but you know what? Return of the King was one of those ones. What? Yeah. I was so I was so invested in those movies. That, I mean, I was I was totally on board with Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, and I remember getting emotional about Return. Wait, of the Mike, King. Mike, like, as our resident like at night after seeing the movie, I was like, oh my god, uh, this is so <laughs> this is so this is like, I, it's like, why am I getting emotional thinking about this movie? Wait, our, our, as our resident Lord of the Rings fans, Mike, did you cry at Return of the King? No, but I think I watched them at a time before I would cry at movies. So I think it was still in college for me. Um, I didn't start like crying at movies till after college, till I got to the real world and realized how shitty things actually are. <laughs> um, I think that's when I started like crying at movies, and usually not sad. Usually at like be- I-, I cry at beauty a lot. When I'm sad, I just kind of get despondent. But I don't really 
cry too often. Cry at beauty. Well, yeah. like, well, there's something about crying about something being so joyous and thrilling that you want right. to like, yeah, like, I didn't yeah. cry, but I, I teared up when I watched Creed in theaters, mm-hmm. like the moment when he, you know, comes back and the Rocky score hits and it's just like, that was like such a joyous, jubilant moment for me. Jubilant. That, like, jubilant. I can't say the word. It doesn't it's matter. A, it's, it's an like I. It's Groundhog J-U-B- Day. I can't say I that either. So, I mean. Yeah. You, you said it. You said it right. <laughs> I've been consciously thinking about it in my <laughs> life. The You're, you've had a lot of influence me on me on this podcast. But yeah, I mean. Anyway, is there any movie in particular that makes you cry, Mike? I I can't th- God, I can't think of anything in particular. I mean, uh, geez, I just saw Hacksaw Ridge, and that did a number a little bit. Um, oh, was that good? Oh, it was really good, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the latest Mel Gibson war movie. The Mel Gibson film, uh, not on the poster there. It says from the director of Braveheart instead of <laughs> Mel Gibson. Because All right, yeah, wisely, wisely omitted the name. Uh, Andrew Garfield, by the way, fantastic. Um, and it's amazing. The movie's like really, it's like two halves. The first half, you're, I was like, oh, I guess this is going to be rated R. I think it's like a. It seems like PG, maybe PG like thirteen. I don't bloody. know. And you get yeah. to the war, and I'm just like, holy god! It's like it's NC seventeen. Holy well, shit! Well, I mean. Things. Um, uh, Mel Gibson is a very he's a director that loves visceral violence yeah, he does, Mel Gibson he does. Movie on I, this podcast. I'll tell you what this is actually it. one of the best uses of it that. I think oh, I've seen right. um, I think he, there's a reason why in this movie I think it really works so well uh, I'd love to talk about it at some point maybe someday we can do it but um, cool, cool. yeah super cool Hmm. All right. Um, final question, and this is unrelated. Did you guys see Rogue One yet? I haven't seen it yet. Yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Don't spoil anything. Did you I won't say anything. Just I'm very. There's a lot of really cool stuff in it. Um, I think the story itself is pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of things in there. I think that the, it, it, it serves it serves the Star Wars universe well. It serves the mythology well, and I think its own it being a self contained story is very very interesting. The choices they made at the end, I was very very surprised. And very. Um, in a weird way, delighted by. And did you have a good time watching it? I did, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. Right, and what's yeah. his name? Uh, the robot's fantastic. Uh, K2SO. Alan fantastic. Tudyk? Alan Tudyk, yep. Mr. Two Dicks? Mr. Two Dicks. <laughs> I'm seeing it next week. Um, Enjoy. Diego play. Luna, I'm sorry. Diego Luna is like, a, he looks like a 12-year-old with a glue-on beard. It just didn't do it for me. <laughs> Man, picking right. on Diego Luna. Boy, he was that a, out of left field? He has a glued-on beard in uh, the movie uh, A Bloodfather, another Mel Gibson movie. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I don't buy it. He doesn't look the role Wait, of Rogue like One a... It's not a Mel Gibson movie. Uh, we were talking <laughs> no, about... No, that would be interesting. We were talking about Mel Gibson <laughs> Yes, movies. I am. Um, but that would be great. I think we should cast him as a Jedi. It would be badass. Um, I'm sorry, Mel Gibson? Yeah, he's got yeah. that beard and everything now. He's ready to go. Oh, he does. He he's does. got that grizzled face. His face looks like an old catcher's mitt at this point. <laughs> Um, yeah, so any uh, final thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life? What, one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the uh, most deserving movies to be played over and over again. Well, I'm just TV glad we can watch a movie we, we agreed, you know, even if it makes up a list. I mean, I'm sorry everyone missed the last podcast. It probably was pretty interesting to listen to. We disagreed on Major League. We all seem to agree on this movie. Hopefully we didn't put anybody to sleep. Well, I put myself to sleep, but you well, know. Maybe someday we release the podcast with me not in it. And it's like a collector's edition. It'll be on the on the, the the box set of the Blu-ray version director's cut of this whole podcast series. It'll be the lost episode with just you guys and lapses of silence when I speak. There you go. <laughs> Sounds good. I mean, that's pretty much what everyone is used. People to will anyway. pay through the nose for it, dude. We're sitting on a million dollars. And, and Dave and I have been were Mike the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Twist ending. That's the Kaiser Soze of the podcast world. Um, Tyler Durden. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, um, this is our final episode of the 2016. We'll figure out what we're doing in 2017, how many episodes we're going to do and all that jank. Uh, who's choosing the next movie? Um, I think you're up, actually, because Ivan... Uh, oh, no, you chose Major League. And no, it's I your chose, turn. Uh, this, this was, oh, it's a wonderful snap, life. it's me. I, I chose okay. this one, so it's Mike's turn. Oh, it's Mike's turn. Uh, let's, let's just sit on it. Yeah, we'll we'll sit on it. Guys, we'll enjoy your holiday. It. Look, if we if we say a movie now, they're going to be thinking about it the entire holiday. It's going to consume their thoughts and every action. Let's just let it go. Everybody relax for the new year. We'll figure it out, and we'll time. tell you in January. All right. All right, cool. Sounds good, guys. <laughs> um, if you want to find us on the web, you can do so. Reviewedpodcast.com, facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and please leave us iTunes reviews and subscribe. That's always great. Um, David, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z. Um, DaveGlanzProductions.com is my website. And Mike, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Mike Morandi or at MikeMorandi.com. And you can dot find, com. No, dot com. And you can find me at Lucky9Studios.com. Dot com. Twitter is uh, at Ivan Kander. That's K-A-N-D-E-R. And I write and edit for shorteroftheweek.com. So... There you go. Uh, until uh, 2017, guys. Hey, Mike, can you? Uh, you're going to be good at this. Can you give me your best Jimmy Stewart impression to take us out of the uh, podcast, please? Oh, come on, on the spot. I don't, you're I don't so know. good. You're, this is like this. Oh, is like, Mary. I, oh, shucks, oh, gee. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> for some way, wait, wait. You just oh, run around no, and just no, say all those not, 1950s things, David, and you pretty much what? got it. Not having a stroke, Jesus. Yeah, that's not how he sounds like Jimmy no. Stewart. Ivan, Ivan, tie him down. Put a belt in his mouth. It's in Bob's house and. And Phil's house. And anyway, <laughs> dude, you sound like Southern or something. You got a drawl. I don't know. I think that's quite. Jimmy I think Stewart does have a drawl. We're all bad at Jimmy Stewart. I just learned. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs>